And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 77 of the Keep Law Show, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am your host, Keith Law. I will be joined today by my friend Jeremy Booth, who runs Program 15 and the Future Star Series for New Balance Baseball. I am on the advisory board of Program 15. I have been to their events. I think they do an excellent job of not just identifying future talent, but helping develop that future talent. Otherwise, I wouldn't have potentially lent my name to them. My most recent work for subscribers to The Athletic, I contributed to our experts' predictions for the postseason. I think I was the only team to predict the Brewers winning the World Series. You can see the rest of my picks, as well as those of several of my colleagues over at The Athletic. I also gave my hypothetical awards balance, which people got irrationally angry over. I don't actually... Those those votes don't... They, do, they don't count. That's what hypothetical means. Um, people were yelling at me on Twitter that I was trying to skew the vote in certain directions. I, I don't have a... That, never mind. For those of you who follow from my board game work, I had a post up. I've actually been doing quite a bit after a couple of weeks of not writing as much about board games. Um, I went to Gen Con. I recapped everything I saw. I did a post uh, before that on the 10 best out of print games. Uh, both of which are over at Paste Magazine. Uh, very interesting, too. One of the games I that was on my honorable mention list and then ended up not in the article for just uh, totally unrelated reasons, Jamaica. I just got word yesterday, Monday, that Jamaica is coming back in print after several years out of print. It was copies were going for $150 and up on the secondary market, which to me is usually a good sign that somebody should reprint the sucker. And somebody is, which is great news for those of you who, uh, like me, are interested in sort of more sophisticated, more Euro board games. Um, so, and keep an eye out on Pace Magazine. I have a review coming, I think, this week of Deranged, which is a semi-cooperative board game. It's got a lot of Arkham horror elements to it, so that should be uh, potentially up any day now. Also, as the holidays start to approach, I've already started my holiday shopping. I don't know about you guys, but I have two books out, Smart Baseball and The Inside Game. Both are now available in paperback. I hear they make great gifts. They could fit in a stocking. Depends on how big your stockings are, but potentially they could. Otherwise, they look really nice under a tree. Wrapped, unwrapped, bow on it, gift bag, however you like to do it. Please consider giving one or both of my gifts to everybody on your holiday shopping list. Now, it is my pleasure today to be joined by Jeremy Booth. He is the president and CEO of Program 15. They just held their uh, the culminating event in their Future Star Series, which is sponsored by New Balance, this past weekend at City Field, identifying some of the top players for the 2022 draft from the high school class. Uh, just full disclosure, I am also on the advisory board for Program 15. Jeremy, thank you for joining me. Keith, you know what? Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And also, thanks for it was good to see you this weekend. Thanks for being there at City Field. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good environment. So I was glad to have you be part of it. 
It was a great event. I love seeing those kids on a major league field whenever possible. I just think it makes a huge difference for evaluating. I think for them too, um, even just coming into the clubhouse at the end of the game, you had me let me come down for a little bit with some of the scouts and seeing those kids there too. I think they they appreciate it. It's got to be a thrill for them to be able to play. Uh, I know some of them had done it before, but most of them hadn't to be able to play in a major league environment like that. Yeah, you know, you got to figure that, like you said, you see them on a big league field, but for a lot of these kids, most of them um, – taking New York out of it for a second. The next time they'll get back there is either a pre-draft workout and that's mm-hmm. half a day. And then when they arrive, right. Yep. They arrive in the big league. So to, to have that experience um, to be able to, and this is one of my favorite parts, that video that played yep. really took the field, like to have all that stuff and be in New York was, I think you learn a lot about whose eyes are a little bit wide and, and who can handle it and fit right in. I also like the fact that there were a bunch of well-struck balls and even like sitting behind the plate, you know, I was with near some other scouts and some parents too. And we're like, oh, oh, you got – nope, actually that's warning track. It's a little different. It's a wood bat. It's a bigger uh-huh. ballpark. I mean, City Field is not huge, but still it's bigger than what most of these kids think. My wife turned to me and said, so is this the same dimensions as what these kids are used to? I said, no, probably not. Like a lot of high school – you've been to plenty of high school yeah. fields where it's it's 240 down the left field line because there's a building on the other side of the fence. Yeah, yeah no doubt. And the ball in center field and city field doesn't carry real well anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so having them go to hit instead of just trying to launch, which is something yep. we preach, right? And, uh, you know, it was good to have, have to see them do that, make adjustments throughout the weekend, realizing, hey, you know what? This ball that gets out in the daytime doesn't get out at night. And this ball that got yep. out at, at, at in Lake Charles or in Lake Point or in, in Arizona it doesn't carry here. So I have to play the game a little different. That was fun to see. Well, you know, we're going to talk about some player development stuff in the big leagues uh, in just a moment. But as long as we're on the subject of this weekend, too, I mean, let's talk about who really stood out for next year's draft. And I'll just put one name out there. You told me before the event to keep an eye out for Cameron Collier, who for listeners of a certain age, you may remember Cameron's father, Lou Collier, uh, who played a little bit for the Expos, bounced around a little bit in the 90s. Cameron's a pretty different kid. He's quite a bit taller than his dad was. And, I, you know, I think he's got a chance to go pretty high uh, once we get to next year. You know, Cam, we had him last year um, mm-hmm. as a freshman. He, remember, he's reclassified now. He should be going into his junior year. Instead, yep. he's going into his eligible year. And I believe he's going to go to Chipola Junior College in the spring. Yep. So, uh, you know, he's 16 years old and he's aged up like this, similar to Bryce Harper, as Bryce Harper did in, in, in high school by going to a junior college, right? I, yep. I think that was College of Southern Nevada back then. Yes, correct. Um Listen, I'll, I'll just put it out there. Cameron is a 70-grade bat. It'll be 70-grade power. Um, it's a 60-arm every bit. It's, it's a 55 to 63rd baseman. Um, he's going to be the best third baseman in baseball. No, he won't be that, but will he be above average and make all the plays he has to make? Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's, he's a better runner now than he will be in the future because he's going to he's going to get thicker and stronger it's going to slow down a bit but it's not ever going to be a clogger he'll steal an occasional base he'll score from first base on extra balls in the gap um you know for me age who he's facing maturity wherewithal and i know we've got some other names that we've seen some in our events some not at the top of the draft um man i don't know how you walk by this guy if he's looking for a high single high school bat i mean he's a top five pick for me Georgia's pretty good next year, huh? Because we got, I mean, your event, it seemed like a third of the guys were from Georgia. <laughs> and you didn't even, you know, there were a couple of guys who weren't there right. who are going to be really Andrew Jones' kid, Jamar Johnson, um, Dylan Lesko. Georgia's going to be the place to be in the spring, I think, on the amateur side, at least for the high school class. 
you know, you got to get an apartment, man. You're going to have to go ahead and figure out <laughs> what, what, what high school where you want to set up and get an apartment. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody in the industry won't spend a ton of time in, in, in the Georgia state of Georgia, Atlanta area next year with the players that have come through and will be eligible at the top of the draft in 22. So I thought he was may not necessarily been the top pitching prospect in terms of just where he'll go in the draft, but Javier Santos, also Javier Santos Tejada, you find him under under both names if you want to go Google him. Sure. He was the breakout guy for me this weekend. I think he had, if he didn't have the best velocity, he had close to the best velocity, but the fastball really played. I loved how he attacked hitters. He really was just, it was a lot of strikes, which is great. A lot of kids get to this event like you were talking about with the wide eyes and suddenly they don't throw strikes. Um, and he kind of brought everything in one package um, for a guy who I don't think was all that hyped coming into the event. You know, the thing about about Javier um, is he doesn't speak hardly any English, first of all. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he hasn't been in this country, you know, all that long. Uh, he's a Dominican guy. He was passed over in the international signing period. And and we see this and, and, and maybe this is a little bit of a hill for me to get on for a second. We see this mm-hmm. all the time with passed over pitching over there, right? I mean, they, yep. those kids mature later. For some reason, we ask those kids to be what our 20-year-olds are here at 16. That's not necessarily going to work on the pitching front. And, and Javier is 18 years old, and it started to come. Now, it's shown up in a big way. Uh, you know, we've seen him a couple of times. He handled city field fine. He was scattered. He wasn't, you know, the best overall feel for the strike zone and what he was doing mm-hmm. at the release point. But it is an impressive arm. It's every bit of 96 living at right now. It'll be it's 98 he touched. Um, you know, it's we'll see where it goes, you know, throughout the spring. But, yeah, all the stuff is there. All the packages there. The physicality is there. It's enough of belief to think he can start with the delivery. Um, yeah, he was he was a guy that I don't think was on anybody's radar that, that absolutely burst through. The one guy you talked about a lot who just didn't, and even afterwards, you believe very strongly he's going to be a first-round pick. He just didn't do a ton while I was there this weekend. But make the case for Henry Bolte out of Palo Alto that he is, in your opinion, going to be at the top of the high school hitting crop next year, which, I get, again, I think it's a pretty good class. So that's very high praise that you think he's got a chance to go up in that in that upper, upper echelon of high school bats. Yeah, so a few things about, about Henry, you know. Um, Still a lot of ceiling left. Get from Cal- Northern California. Better days are ahead. Not overly famous coming into the summer. Um, man, he's got some power. He's got mm-hmm. he's got feel to hit. You know, and, and when I say feel to hit, you know, he took a couple of balls. My keep in mind, I've got 40, 50 of bats with this kid now, right? But it's it's took a couple of balls this weekend against good velocity um, in the first couple of bats in game one, where he was late and beat but he stayed behind the ball enough and even hit one ball 320 feet down the line to right field and was able to go ahead and base it up the middle base hit to right. Once he gets on base, he's a base still in threat. And, mm-hmm. and our, our staff was able to unlock him this summer at the national combine and teach him how to use those tools and just say, look, man, we're going to run with just abandon until you figure out when to run, how to run. You're just going to start going. Right. And that started to mature. Um, he's carried that forward at other events. He already codes. He had a, good, a strong showing. Um, you know, he, he had a, a very, I thought, a good showing, not his best showing overall with us this weekend, but a good showing. Um, you know, and look, there's a lot of life in the body. He's runs, he runs a 6'4", and it plays that way. Uh, he can play center field, whether he throws, whether or not all the tools for me are, are plus. Uh, whether, the, whether the game power sells in it plus, I think it's just going to be a product of what type of hitter he is, right? But I do believe in the bat. Um, he's a leadoff type of guy. It, it's part of your lineup. Especially in today's world, high on base guy, change the game with one swing. I mean, he's that type of guy that can hit one. Um, and if you don't think he plays center field, he can be a Jeff Francoeur. 
So do I think he's a top 10 pick? No. Do I think he's a 15 to 30? Yeah. And if for some reason he gets out of that 15 to 30 uh, with a guy that you believe that can play center field, that has body life, that can move to a corner with enough bat, throw and steal bases, uh, I best days ahead and some ceiling. He's a 30 to 50 guy max for me. So I, I don't I don't think he yep. gets out of the first 50 picks. And I think we'll see a lot of those guys, too. Guys that you and I and others, we, we talk about as first-round talents, though, will end up being second or even third pick overpays. Mm-hmm. That's just the way the draft is going at this point. And yeah. I think also, like Anthony Salamato, for example, clear, clear first-round talent. I think in most people's opinion, clear first-round talent. But the Pirates get him with a second pick overpay. And I could see that happening with a bunch of guys from this event this weekend. You know, I agree. And that's kind of the target, right? We, we don't – you know, we're not real in love with guys like – um well, let's just say the overly famous guys right away. You know, part of that is yeah. because they're seen so much that it becomes prospect overload in some ways. Even I get tired. Mm-hmm. No offenses to some of those players. Even I'm like, great, you know, so-and-so, saw him again. You know, I want to see guys that I would call really fun to scout. I want to see guys that are upside, some guys that need that need attention, that belong in that in that mix. Because, man, you know, you and I both know we've been doing this a long time, and this game's been around a long time before us. There are a lot of guys outside of that first 15 picks 20 picks mm-hmm. really become a lot better than the ones that went in that first 15 to 20 picks Yes, every year. And so they got to have some growth and they got to have some ceiling and they got to have some role value. And if they have those things, I tend to gravitate towards those guys, those guys rather than the pretty boys. So your background before you started program 15, which has been hugely successful as you were a scout, you started as an area guy from Milwaukee, did a lot of cross checking for them. You were doing the same for Seattle before you were let go um, and ended up starting program 15. Uh, instead. And I think that even though your background is as a scout, I know I've known you for so long too. And with what you do at Program 15, your heart is very much in development. And you can see that in the way that you talk about players, but also you and I have just been talking on offline a bit about we're seeing all these player development changes now. The Phillies are uh, preparing to make a huge change there. The Reds are making huge changes on that side. The Pirates fired their major league hitting coach. The Cubs just fired their major league hitting coach. So Let's talk about that environment too. And what are some of the changes you've seen major and minor league level over the last couple of years that now it looks to me like a lot of teams are just trying to roll that back and saying, Hey, this, this didn't work. We need to try something else. Yeah. You know, this kind of goes back, you know, and, and when you and I, you know, connected for the first time, I was with the Brewers living in Houston, like I am right now. I spent some, uh, one year with Minnesota, Darren Johnson hired me um, in 2008 and Tim O'Neill. And I, you know, was that Jack asked for permission for me, after a year, mm-hmm. I resigned from the Twins and took the job with the Brewers. And the rest, you know, followed Jack to Seattle, et cetera, et cetera. But what I was very fortunate to have um, in my background was exposure to all levels of, of evaluation and development. So it, it came to, hey, let's, you know, Jeremy's going to go see the affiliates. That was hugely important. Jeremy's going to get to get know the coaches. That was hugely important. Um, doing stuff with Rule 5 and doing stuff with, uh, you know, advanced scouting and doing stuff with trade deadline things and, and just everything that they did from a developmental standpoint and their confidence in me. I owe to, you know, Darren Johnson, Ray Montgomery, um, you know, Jack Zarenzik, Tom McNamara, Bobby Heck, uh, you know, Bruce Sy. Those guys were all very supportive of me in my growth and development. And I ha- I'd be remiss in saying that we got here, um, you know, if I didn't mention those guys and how we got to this moment right now. So, mm-hmm. um but yeah, the focus is in development because at the end of the day, scouting has the vision. They've got the vision. They got to see it. They got to understand what it can be in the future. They and development has to make that vision a reality. And the two don't work together without each other, or they don't work without each other. Uh, development has a very real responsibility to to 
you know, enhance success today in, in whatever area needs to be uh, successful, always with an eye on the future. And I felt that working in major league organizations before, because of my exposure to those other departments, that we had some what I would call major misses and how that was connecting. The two departments didn't talk to each other. Uh, there was very much a, a feeling of, of blame if something didn't work out. People point fingers, you know, and, and it just it, it's, it's a, it becomes an environment that, they, you know, inevitably blows up. And in the middle are a lot of players getting, you know, getting lost. You know, they're stealing yep. and, and they're not able to, to progress because they're not sure who to listen to. And so they kind of get in their own wall. And then you see the birth of the private coaches, which is what we see now gravitate towards in Major League Baseball. These guys are getting let go now um, that were there before all began really and it's generic when I say this, but it's all, you know, all began really as private coaches. One player, this player, that work spreads. Nothing wrong with that as long as you have the vision to be able to spread your view of, of, of a foundation into each individual player's role. And what we do here is we start with the scouting and we identify what the player's tools and athleticism and cognitive functions and processes and, you know, use some of the technology and analytics to do that. You know, you remember virtual reality. We did some of that here. You know, how do we uh, get to the deeper insights as well as with the readily available scouting insights, get a picture of that player, understand what he's going to be role-wise, what he has to be role-wise to how value. And then we work towards that ceiling from a developmental plan. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. What you'll get is you'll get people who um, live into, a, you know, we we'll use a guy that's a sink or slider guy. doesn't have a high spin. Well, this guy mm -hmm. can throw a two seam and this guy's hand doesn't work for a curveball, but he has feel for the strikes on a field to repeat. You can give him yep. some value as a mid rotation, a back end rotation starter with that type of stuff. Right. So mm -hmm. we really focus on role building. We focus on value and return for the player here. Um, and, and we try to get as deep as we can with with the players, all of our players in our system and, and, and certainly the ones you saw in City Field. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We can talk about specific teams if you want, but I, the one, I, I will just staying on a general theme too. The one thing that I saw in common from all of those orgs that I just mentioned, there's player development changes going on elsewhere. Actually, I forgot the Padres. Padres just let go. Sam Ganey, who's well-respected. I've known him for an extremely long time. I'm sure he'll latch on somewhere because I, I think he's super bright. Um, but a lot of teams, I think, have run into trouble with um, – trying to implement a bit of a one-size-fits-all approach to hitting. And some teams have, you know, the Dodgers have, have done that. They've altered a lot of player swings with successes to optimize their launch angle and create more power. They've done it with every player. They've had some failures on that side too. But generally, they've been successful. But then you see other teams, like the Phillies, a team I see a lot, where it's just, wait, a lot of these guys used to know how to hit. And they got into the system and they just stopped or got a little bit, got further up. Scott Kingery, the best example I can think of. 
Scott Kingery gets to the door of the big leagues and just forgets how to hit. And that was the one thing that kid could always do going all the way back to college too. So are you seeing that? Do you see that even as you talk to high school kids um, and as you pay attention to the what kids are doing in pro ball, that it's, it's too one size fits all? Or am I, is that just an outsider's perspective? I'm not seeing enough of the, actually how the engine is working. I, you know, I, I think it's so accurate that it's overly accurate. And, and this is, this is why I, I, you know, we get to a point where this industry and, and, and look, I don't feel like I'm going to ruffle any, even if I was, Okay, and this is this we we tend to follow what we see ahead of us sometimes in this industry, right? There's the independent thinking usually happens with one or two clubs or three clubs that are way ahead of everybody, and then other people try to play catch up. Um, you know, when it comes to the things, and I'll use Chris Taylor with the Dodgers mm-hmm. as an example because yep. we had him in Seattle. Those mm-hmm. concepts absolutely helped Chris Taylor. They were what yep. we needed. It helped him di- dial into what he needed to be. He was able to athletically uh, and mentally apply them. Um, but that was just him. I think we fall in love with those results of that one guy. And then we decide to follow the teachings without, again, that branching off into what I call an IDP, which we do in corporate America, right? An IDP, individual development plan for each individual kid or player. Mm-hmm. Um, in Philadelphia, that was very much, and, and I've said this on the record before, it was very much a toxic environment. And, and the guy that was charged with leading the hitting over there, I, I never understood what that hire was about. Um, in Cincinnati, uh, same thing. They, they took a couple of years to figure it out. I, I never understood that higher either. And you need to get to a situation where you're incorporating the concepts that are enhancing for, for example, driveline with arm strength, done a good job when it comes to helping arm strength. They've done a good job that they have not done a good job. I don't care what anybody says when it comes to developing pitching. And so when you have the, the arm strength and you can put that together with the guys that can develop pitching, you, you have a pretty insurmountable uh, position. Okay, if you just pick one or the other and try to make everybody on one side, um, which is what we've done as an industry, and I, I'm going to include myself in it because you know I'm involved in this at least in turning the, the players back over to, to the draft and whatnot. But when it when if we've come to a place where we've decided that in all these organizations it's just this one way and everybody else that talks about it can't be around and we're going to purge the game of this quote old school thinking instead of realizing that some of the advances in technology and analytics are just that, their advances in technology and analytics and how to put that together with the things that got the game to this point is how you would step into the new frontier. Um, we've talked about this offline and, 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 and others have talked about this offline, some publicly, for about six, seven years now. This isn't a new deal. It's just baseball is finally coming around to it. So when the Phillies and, and the Cubs and the Reds and, and, and I'll take the Padres out of it because I don't know Sam at all and I just, I'll trust what you have to say, but when, when, when you see these type of changes being made, it's because they have figured out that they've whiffed and made these mistakes. My question would be, what, what direction do you go from here? Do you keep mm-hmm. making these type of mistakes? Do you go after these guys? Do you get another chance to make another mistake? Or do you have something that has a more of a, a blended vision where you get a diversity in thought back into the organization, people that can put people uh, those concepts together to, to lead a system? I'm glad you pointed that out too, because the, 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 the idea of well, do we just keep making the same mistakes, right? Nobody thinks they're doing that, right? They all think, well, we changed the people and therefore we're changing everything else. But I feel like in a lot of cases, and this is a little bit of a different situation with the Mets firing Luis Rojas, like, they're just scapegoating him. He's not the reason they didn't make the playoffs this year. There's lots of reasons, but he wasn't it. I don't think he was, he, I don't even think he was 10% of it. But, and I think that's going to happen on the player development side. I wonder if that's what happening that happens with the Padres too. Is is Sam Ganey the re- reason that Mackenzie Gore hasn't reached the big leagues yet? No, of course he's not. But he's, you know, you can't fire the players, but you can fire or reshuffle 
the farm director, the player development director, the hitting coordinator. If you're not changing the philosophy, though, it kind of doesn't matter. If the Reds, for example, who worked with Driveline, and I agree with you, I think Driveline's main contribution to this sport has been they have demonstrated that we can add velocity, that it is much easier than we thought that the old idea that you can't teach a kid to have arm strength was wrong. Kyle and his group have demonstrated that was 100% wrong. We can teach a lot of kids to have arm strength. Maybe I can't, but they can, and now a lot of organizations can do that. Mm-hmm. But if you move a group out or an individual out, as you're talking about with the Phillies too, what comes in next has to be different. You have to have different ideas, different plans, and I think especially what you mentioned, the ID- the idea of the IDP, that each player gets his own plan that is individually tailorized, customized for him. That's the critical part. And if you aren't doing that, before just shuffling around the people isn't going to create that kind of organizational change you need to be better at developing players. You know, we, we had, when we started uh, program 15, you know, we had pro guys only. You, you remember that we had yep. Ray yep. Rogers, we had David Rollins, we had Dylan Thomas, we had, yep. um, uh, you know, Alex Jackson, just briefly, we had him, we had Tyler Beatty a little bit, you know, we had some other guys that have now, you know, shown up and, and Brady and David and Dylan. And I'm so happy for Dylan Thomas and the fact that he finally arrived in the big leagues. So it was great. Years later. Yeah. We, we tried to do was, was again, get into what was really necessary for them to be successful. It, it had nothing to do with what we wanted to see personally. It's, Hey man, what are we, what are we working with here? We got, what tools do we have? What instincts do we have? And, and how do we best get that to have role value? You know, Dylan mm-hmm. Thomas had to completely restart it. He had to completely start over. David didn't. David needed to rework some things, but not restart. And Brady, of course, had to kind of just redo and kind of go back to what he was doing before. Had a great AAA year, got to the big leagues, didn't have a whole lot of success, but he got there. So mm-hmm. when you look at uh, the philosophy and the personnel, at the time, a comment was made to me when I was talking about player development by an exec. He said to me, I was talking about the pitching, and he said to me, but you're not the pitching coordinator. And it resonated, not because – of the fact that I didn't understand what I was looking at, but it resonated because my responsibility in the position I'm in is to put people in place who can do those things instead of me having to do them. Mm-hmm. My, my job here and what it would be with a club and what the clubs will, that have success, I believe will do is it will develop an organizational philosophy of what they want to see out of their players, how they want to score runs, how they want to uh, you know, get guys out, how they want to prevent, how they want to defend all the things that they really decide they want to do. It's up to them to make that decision, whether it's completely one side, completely the other, or together. Once they make that decision, they need to find people in place to execute it. But understand that after it continues to fail consistently, it is not necessarily the Indians. It might just be the overall philosophy of the people that are carrying it out. Now, um, if you can allow people to do their jobs instead of orchestrating everything from on high, in the, in, in the whatever chair that is. And I'm not singling anybody out, but that gets done in this game and we know that gets done. If you allow people to do their job, if you put people in place to have a voice and you develop a system of accountability, um, you should not have any problem developing players and having your scouting partner have success. If it doesn't work, it needs it starts at the top. It doesn't start with the people below, it starts with the top. And very rarely is it one person below that's for blame. Very rarely. And if it is, you usually know that right away and you can make <laughs> Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you on the development side too, you mentioned that 
you know, this guy doesn't have the hand for a curveball or the wrist for a curveball too. So just, you know, I say that a lot and, and readers often ask, well, why, why do you say that? Why do you say this guy just doesn't have a curveball? You say, I, I often point out, well, he doesn't have a curveball, but his arm's really fast. There's a chance he could throw a decent enough slider. It may not be a high spin slider, sure. but at least he can get some velocity on it. You know, what do you, as a, both a scout and a development guy, when you're looking at a pitcher and trying to figure that out, what do you, what do you look for? In a pitcher to say he's going to be a slider guy, he's going to be a curveball guy. Maybe he's na- maybe he's neither. Maybe he's a cutter guy, or it has to be something else because it's not working. Um, there's a few factors. You know, one of them is his slot. You know, the slot, the natural comfortable slot to get guys out. You have an overhand slot, which is really hard to command anything from because it's too high. You have a, mm-hmm. pow- a power slot, which works for a full mix, we would say, and also maximum velocity. You have a three quarter slot which, you know, power slots high three-quarter, you work for a three-quarter slot, which is sinker slider, which is really deceptive and funky and angle. And so with guys, as the further they get away from that high three-quarter, the slot isn't going to work for a curveball anyway, right? It, yep. really, it has to really depend um, on what their slot is. Secondly, a lot of guys will stab, a lot of guys will dig. They'll have something in the back that they do that will limit their wrists from getting through and their fingers from getting in front of the baseball. If you can identify that, even if it's a straight wrist and a flex wrist or a loose wrist, and the fingers don't get in front well, and he doesn't can't pull down well because of the slot. It's not going to have a curveball. It's not going to come out right. You have to be able to get to something that pitches off the fastball and most more than likely doesn't go north to south, mm-hmm. goes east and west. So um, for me, when I see that, then it's about developing the two seam. It's about making people uncomfortable on both sides of the plate. It's about allowing guys to to really repeat and command and finish. Uh, sinker sinker slider, I think, is still one of the most powerful combinations in baseball. It's uncomfortable. It expands the zone. It moves feet. It does everything to do to change a hitter's eye level because it's, it's east and west instead of just having to look at where the ball is going to start from on a four-seam uh, you know, four plane. There's a lot of things there when it comes to what you do once you identify that. But the hand, how it comes through and what the slot is will tell you if he can throw a curveball or not. So playoffs are upon us. They start tonight. Um I have said before, I think predicting the playoffs is kind of a fool's errand. Um, you know, people who try to model this or try to do it through analytics do a really good job. Projection systems, I think, do a really good job with the regular season and not with the playoffs. But we're here. So let's talk about it. Who do you like in the postseason? Is there any particular team you think is maybe better built for a postseason run than even than they were for a regular season run? You know, um, Tampa Bay will forever scare me in anything they do as long as they're constructed <laughs> the way they are. I mean, those guys are just a good club year in and year out. And, and again, there's a great example organizationally of what happens at the top all the way down to the, the guy at the, at the bottom rung. I mean, they work together. They, they pull the same direction. They're a lot of original thought. It's both sides of the spectrum. You know, they, they do everything they can to get the one of the biggest scouting staffs out there. I mean, just, yep. that is an example of what an organization really should be. Um, the White Sox, I think, are a pretty good club. I think as they condense some of the bullpen issues that they've had, they're going to go away because you'll be able to move guys around back into shorter roles. And, 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 and I think they're strong. I don't, I don't think the Astros beat them, for example, and I'm here in Houston. I'll start my coverage tomorrow with, uh, you know, with television, but I, I don't believe that the Astros get by the White Sox. I think the White Sox have too much power for them offensively and, and in the bullpen. Um, on the national league side, I mean, the Dodgers and the, and the Giants, if the Dodgers get by the wild card game, I think they're in the wild card right against St. Louis. The Dodgers and the Giants mm-hmm. tend to be, I mean, I flip a coin. 
for me. You know, I, yeah. you know, they just got, they got to get through that, but I think, right. I think that's your, those are the clubs I'd be watching for. I think the other clubs are good, good clubs and, and they've done a good job to get here, but I don't think they have the complete build that's designed to win in October. They're missing mm-hmm. something. That doesn't mean we play the games. I mean, they can't get through it. I mean, they can't get through it, but if I have to pick one, I'm, I'm going with those four and then I'm a white Sox in Tampa Bay. You have to ask me in a couple of days after that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You know, last last point I'll make too. I'm glad you brought that up specifically about Tampa Bay too. They've maintained a huge scouting staff. They've empowered their scouts more than I think any other club I know of. Scouting is well integrated with R&D. They're well integrated with player development. This is a team that operates on a shoestring, right? And yet they have gone as the rest of the industry has said, we're going to cut costs by getting rid of scouts. What has Tampa Bay done? If anything, I think they've doubled down and say, no, now this has become a competitive advantage. What we used to do just to be able to continue to compete without having the payroll of our peers, we are actually going to do it now. We're going to maintain the scouting staff, even grow the scouting staff because other clubs aren't doing it. So now we get a big advantage over those teams, which I absolutely love seeing. And I wish more people would realize that when you see large market teams kicking out all their scouts because they think they're going to save 20 cents. Do they not realize why Tampa Bay has had so much success? That it's because of the scouting staff and how they utilize those guys. Well, you know, let's let, we can focus. You mentioned the Mets and Rojas. You know, mm-hmm. Luis Rojas earlier. You focus on New York, for example. Sandy Alderson just came out and said, and, and we were just there. Great people, great staff, beautiful setup. But Sandy Alderson just came out and, 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 and said, we need to grow our own players. It's almost a verbatim quote. Yep. Okay. There hasn't been a better team in baseball besides in the last five years, maybe 10 years, besides mm-hmm. Tampa Bay mm-hmm. and, and and I'll say the Dodgers. Yep. That's well the, on the West Coast. However, the present baseball operations in LA came from none other than wait for it, Tampa Bay. Right. So you look around the tree and what Heim Bloom's trying to do in Boston and, and mm-hmm. continuing what they've done. Mike Rickard and those guys did a great job before to get into a certain point. Heim's trying to reinstitute his processes, but it's still homegrown players. You look in Houston, what James Click is doing. Another general manager from the Tampa Bay, you know, uh, organization. Yep. It's more scouts on the road. It's reinvesting into the system. It is more traditional player development methods to to get these players together. And all of them come from the same school of thought that Tampa Bay and Eric Neander and all the staff there, including Bobby Heck and, and other guys that are there, are executing now. Mm-hmm. Um, that is again, if we're talking about a model and what t- what Tampa Bay has done and how their organizations continue to win, and the two. In the last 10 years, we just said we're the best, or I just said we're the best, we're, have been Tampa Bay and, and L.A., both with Tampa Bay roots. It would seem to me if you're a club like the Mets, it's not a very long search, right? It's, it's something that you do to institute these type of processes into that organiza- into your organization. So I'm not saying there aren't other qualified people. There are. There's other good people out there. There's people that have done this before. Uh, what I am saying is they're a, they're a model for all the reasons you just stated and the results that they've had this year, not just team of the decade in Baseball America, which is a big honor. But man, they want at every level, like every level this every year. Every level. Every level. And they're developing, winning, and doing it together with a positive culture. I mean, it seems to me that all the reasons you said is why they have that culture. My guest today has been my longtime friend, Jeremy Booth of Program 15 and uh, New Balance Baseball. And you can follow if you want to keep track of the guys in that Future Star series, one of the best places to follow for information on the upcoming draft class and even draft classes down the road. On Twitter, it is it is at FTR Stars Series. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. I will be taking one week off 
from doing this show because I will be going to the Arizona Fall League. I will be out there for the first week of games. I am incredibly excited to get back there. I have not actually set foot in Arizona for two years. That is the longest I've gone without going to Arizona in, oh my God, 16 years now. I lived there for a couple of years, as folks might know. I had gone to the Arizona Fall League for 14 straight autumns until obviously the league wasn't held last year. We don't even really know who the players are going to be, and I don't care. One, I'm just excited to go there. And two, I figure anybody I see, any prospects I see at all, it's just a bonus. I'm incredibly excited. It'll be a shorter trip than usual. Uh, If you see me at a game, if you happen to be at a game, you see me, you want to say hi, please come say hi. It's always best to do it maybe before first pitch or maybe right afterwards, just because I tend to be trying to focus. There's so many players to see in the Fall League. It's not like a amateur game where I'm focusing on just one player. But I am always happy to say hi to readers, happy to sign anything you'd like. Please do come say hi if you're out at the games. And even if you're not going to say hi to me, but you're in Arizona, go see the games. Fall League is great. You get to see lots of future big leaguers on one field for just a couple of dollars in really nice stadiums. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite experiences of the year. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please stay safe. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.